I've been enjoying the the study that I have in between times. There's a lot there's a lot I want to get to, and yet the timing of shifting the 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 Kairos ministries to next week gave me an opportunity to give one more week before Mark fills in next week. And so this is a good chance. Uh, I'm going to share some things with you. I'm going to be a um, put on your student cap, and I'll be put on the professor cap today. I want you to learn some things that I think the Spirit of God really, if you get these, it will rivet your faith in such a way that you'll have wisdom. And that's what we've been after for the last several weeks, is the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And I think there's some things here, as you as you get this into perspective, <clears throat> Seeing how Paul works with people and how under, how he understands how God works with people, you'll see some things, hopefully in this next next half hour, that will really open your eyes. And, and you won't understand everything, which I don't expect you to, but it, you will hear it as we go through the next uh, several chapters. And it's so significant that you get these down because it will give you the framework to understand what's going on in our world. So it's, there's just, there's a richness to it. So I've called this one, and if this comes out on the screen, it'll be great. <laughs> uh, my iPad looks like it's been on steroids or drugs, I can't tell what. So this is called Misreading the Spirit. And there's something going on in these Christians in Corinth that they thought they understood what that Christian spirituality was all about. They, but they were really so far off base that they couldn't see how biased and how blinded they were. But I've called this this misreading of the spirit, which led them to the arrogance and this foolish boasting. When I was with Marilyn... Uh, yesterday, or the day before yesterday, I was talking to one of the people there, and we were talking about Marilyn's home going. And the question came up where one family member told this person, you're not going to go to heaven. Your faith isn't good enough. You weren't baptized. You didn't do it the right way, and so I don't think you're going to go into heaven. Telling her sister that this was... uh, her reality, I thought, my word, who is this woman telling her sister? And they got into a conflict. She says, I, I do have faith. She says, no, you don't. And she challenged her sister. And from that point on, 17 years ago, they never talked about Christ, ever. It was dropped. You've had those conversations where you feel like it just went all wrong and you can never talk again to people. And yet when you come to the point of death, Um, I often hear several things, but the final cry of the human heart is, will God forgive me? Have I done enough? Am I saved? And will I be allowed into heaven? In prison, one guy said to me, it's not that I, I don't want to accept Jesus. It's I just don't think Jesus would accept me with all the sin that I've done. And these are issues at the very core of the heart, those crucial desires that if they're not met, it leads into an eternal ache of separation that you never knew Christ. And yet, the, the assurance for us, and I want you to hear this, 
is that the Bible's very, very clear that by grace are you, now notice the, 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 the verb tense, have been saved. It's past tense. It happened in the past 2,000 years ago when Jesus said it is finished. Salvation was accomplished. You have been saved. And this is not from your own selves. It is the gift of God, not because of works, not what we do, not based on our performance, not based on our understanding, not based on anything about us. It's something that God did for us and that he gives to us so that no one can boast. Can you imagine if you got into heaven? How'd you get here? Well, man, I got uh, all these merit awards for being in the Boy Scouts and did the good work at the church. And, and what'd you do? Well, let me tell you, my, I did more than that. And so you can hear people in heaven boasting at what they did. It was God removes that because boasting is not part of the heavenly kingdom. But we know that this thing of assurance, can you be assured that you know that you'll get into heaven? And again, the Bible is very clear that for Christians to have a faith at the point of death and beyond, he says this is the testimony that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has, present tense, life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have, present tense, life. So I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have, present tense, eternal life. And so we have these Verses of scripture that give you a clear assurance. And we sing this. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of heaven divine. Now, I'll talk about that in a minute. But the fact that God gives you a blessing because of the grace of Christ, and that grace touches your spirit. Some people uh, don't hear that. They hear more, I've got to do more to get into heaven. And that's what this lady was saying to her sister. You haven't done enough. You haven't shown any evidence that you're a Christian, and therefore I don't think you are. Well, people misread the scriptures. And when you misread the information, what we understand is that uh, uh, misleading readers become misreading leaders. Or put it the other way, misread people are misled people. And the idea that if you read scripture with Western eyes, you really are going to miss some of the, the great themes that God wants to have. Have you ever been misled? Sure. And so if you've been misled because you've misread information or been dished out misinformation and people are brainwashed, now, it's funny that we would see Russia doing this. We'd say, well, yeah, they, those people don't understand. And so the Ukrainians have the truth. The Russian people don't have the truth because they're being misled. But that's not only in their country. Somehow we can see problems in other countries, but we can't see it in our own country. And therefore, we get caught up in this, what do we think about things? If you're, if you're being misled, how do you know? How do you know? Well... You need something outside of yourself, and that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. The great man, a great thinker, Cornelius Van Til, 
We'll talk about this in, in terms of the Christian life because have you, ever, have you ever wondered if you were a Christian? And have those times of doubt, say, I'm not sure, I'm not sure I even have faith anymore. Just my faith used to be good, but now I don't know if my faith works at all. Cornelius would say, Did you ever fear? Did you ever fear the foe or something's overwhelming you? Did you ever think that you'd lose your salvation? To be sure, Satan's power is uh, <clears throat> and his ingenuity are great, but the one little word of Christ shall fell him. The word tells the story of the Christ who came into the world, conquering and to conquer the powers of hell that cannot prevail against him as he establishes his kingdom. <clears throat> well, today I want to talk about these themes. <clears throat> and I've, I've narrowed down to three points that I'm going to come back to, and you'll hear, I'm just going to, lay out these planks, and so you'll hear these words. Some of these you know. The word eschaton, I've mentioned it once before. The word eschaton has to do with the idea that there's, there's dimensions in the Christian life that there's the already and not yet. I'll explain that in a minute. Then there's something that's really wonderfully insightful by a man named William Webb. It's called the redemptive movement. And you'll see that in Corinthians. It's the redemptive movement of the spirit. And that's where I tie into my five color bars, which you guys have all memorized and can explain really well. <clears throat> the, uh, because there is something that if you believe in a static faith, that you believe in Jesus and therefore you're going to go to heaven, you've really been misled. There's more to it, and you'll be stuck in just a Jeopardy question-answer. We get into heaven, yes, if you believe in Jesus. So it's a question-answer kind of thing. There's no, no vitality to that. But the third, and third one is misreading the Spirit and moving in the wrong direction. And you'll see how these will come into play. <clears throat> but the already and not yet, the eschaton, the redemptive movement of the Spirit, and misreading and moving in the wrong direction. So those are the three points. And we start back with the Old Testament. The image of the Old Testament, you know, from uh, Moses onward, is that there were people who were in captivity. And God's Spirit moved Moses to lead people out of captivity into a promised land. The whole story of the Exodus becomes the pattern of the Easter movement when we move through death into life. When you have the exodus, you have this transference of one person from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so there's movement going on all the way through scripture. You have the exodus and then you have the eschaton. And the eschaton has to do <clears throat> with the study of end things. End things, end, end of times things. And so when you come into the eschaton, you're talking about the things that you hope for that are coming up ahead. The things that, the assurance of things hoped for is the convictions that you, you're looking for because you know they're on the calendar and they're coming in time. The eschaton, the end of your life is going to come and after your life there are things that are going to happen and so you look for those things because it's the study of the end times and that means <clears throat> that you look through the end of your life, the goals, um, 
the end of the age. You're talking about the end of the world. You're talking about the judgment, the death of the study of death and the eternal life. It's the second coming of Jesus. The prophecies of his second coming and the resurrection of the dead. The whole thing of the end times is such a big topic that the eschaton is huge in the, in the New Testament. It talks about the rapture, the millennium, and the tribulation. It talks about the book of Revelation and the judgment. It talks about the new heaven. It talks about the new earth. This eschaton is only for those uh, who are touched by Christ and the Holy Spirit to see this mystery that's being revealed. And so Jesus would give that spirit to all who received the Son, And to all who received the Son who believed, past tense, in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means as children, you're part of that eschaton, that future that you know what's coming up. But we also know that as children of God, as sons and daughters of God, we've got that foretaste, that first fruits experience. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the foretaste, the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Now what this means is this, is that something has already taken place, already taken place, and yet it's not fully realized. You've got revelation of the mystery of God's plan from Exodus the cross, and now the church, and, and there's more coming. But you have the already and the not yet. We are already adopted as sons and daughters, and yet you'll find passages in there, but we're not yet adopted. We're still not home. And so we are already saved, and yet we are yet not saved, and so salvation is going to be consummated when we get home. We are already redeemed in Christ. And in Christ, we have all those blessings, but yet we're not redeemed because we're still not home. We are already sanctified in Christ, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 2, and yet there's so much work to be done that we're not yet totally sanctified. And so you've got this tension where you were raised in Christ through baptism and you're brought into the family as a son or daughter of Christ through faith. And yet, knowing that you are raised up in Christ, you're still not raised totally until you go home. So here's this tension that I want you to hear that Paul is, is talking about, that, that you, as a believer in Christ, live in tension in the present world and the world to come. This is the assurance that Paul would say, Jesus would say, that truly, truly, and any time in Hebrew when it says truly, truly, it's the underlying high, highlighter, italics, you know, this is true. They didn't have those emphasis <clears throat> markers. But he says, verily, verily, truly, truly, or very truly. So pay attention. That was the signal. I tell you that Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, one, has eternal life. Present tense. Already. Right now. It's here. Has eternal life. Two, will not be judged. Future. 
no condemnation, complete forgiveness, washed in the blood, no guilt, no shame. When you get home, you'll see Jesus and you won't bow down. You'll be surprised because you'll, you'll leave for joy because Jesus will call your name. It will all be transformed. When you, when you, there's no judgment. There's no condemnation for you. Hallelujah <laughs> for that. That's coming up. And third, he has crossed from death into life. Those are the already not yet passages. And yet when you see this, you hear Paul just praising, praising God all the time, saying that these blessings of heaven have come to you, that all the blessings of heaven, all the blessings of redemption, all the blessings of salvation are there and here at the same time. And that as a Christian, you can discover and go as deep as you want. But it is the desire of the Holy Spirit to give the Corinthians and to those here in Chesterland, to the, the wisdom, that mindset of Christ, that understanding, and to walk in with him in the tension between the already and the not yet. So for Paul, this eschaton, this end of time study, where we pray, don't we? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom and we think, well, heaven, we go to heaven. No, heaven comes to us already here. Where does it come to? Inside. We want God's spirit to come inside and his will be done in my heart. Thy will be done on earth. Not there, in here already right now. And so for Paul, this coming of Christ, this eschaton of Christ has to do about Jesus and you being in Jesus. And you being in Jesus means that all the resources of heaven are yours in the fellowship with Christ. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing that when you begin to see that this assurance, these convictions, this hope, these resources, these blessings, this is our inheritance as Christians. The power to overcome sin, the power to resist temptation, the power to punch Satan in the nose and say, get out of here. Our victory in Christ, our assurance, our confidence is not in the wisdom of men, which you hear in Corinthians. It's in the wonder of the Messiah who's come and called you by name. For Paul, the eschaton is all about Christ. It is an historic fact in history that Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago for you and for me. It's redemptive history not necessarily psychological therapy, but the idea for Paul is Christ has changed everything in time, and that's what you've got to understand. The death and the resurrection and the ascension, the Pentecost, this is salvation revealed. This is salvation realized. And therefore, when Paul talks about the eschaton, you have to understand and I want you to hear this, is that there are two people groups. There are two ages. There's the present age, which Paul talks about this evil age, this present evil age, this age of people who have separated from Christ and walk in the flesh independent, thinking I'm wise enough to make my life work without God. I don't need God. I don't need you. 
this present evil age where <clears throat> the opposite of heaven is operating on, by the spirit of the world that's being influencing all these decisions. But in the past, the past, Jesus said this present evil age is going to be going up and but when Christ comes in, it now becomes the last days. And so the present evil age and the age to come, we're in the last days before that age is fully realized in the eschaton. So you have the new and the not yet. And we live right there between the new and the not yet. And therefore in the Old Testament, you have the old passing away and the new coming, and this new part comes through because the Holy Spirit has broken into history and has broken into human nature and has broken in and giving a blessing so that you have new life in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Okay? You got that. Now keep that in mind because what you have to understand to get the book of Corinthians and you'll hear this next two weeks. If, and I'll come back to this. If you understand this movement that the Spirit of God is at work to move every individual closer to heaven, to understand the glory that's yours, the riches that are yours in Christ, these breakthroughs come as a taste of grace. There are moments that you get so close to God that you tremble and you, wa you worship in a way that God speaks to your soul and you relax and you're still because he loves you. And that leads you into a sense of worship. You say, I want more of this. It's a taste. It's a foretaste. You don't get it all the time, but God gives you the appetizer, but the big meal's coming up. <laughs> But these experiences, as you walk through your daily world, the Spirit of God will speak to you, teach you, guide you, give you wisdom. All these things are yours. And that's what Paul says. The wisdom that we speak of, we speak among the mature. Because God has revealed those mysteries. This is the eschaton, the already but not yet. And therefore, as we move into, and there's a lot of people who are writing about this, it's this idea that, and this is very rich, but just keep in mind the Spirit of God has broken in human history to save you and to continue to save you until you go home. First point. Second point. There are some things <clears throat> to understand this movement that God is doing in the Scriptures and this is where the tension has come. And I find this, uh, this book quite helpful to explain some of these tensions that we wrestle with in the Christian life. This comes from a book called Slaves, Women, <laughs> and Homosexuality. It's a biblical hermeneutic, a way of reading the scripture to see God at work in moving people through time and history. So, how does Paul help the Corinthians break free from their culture? How does God's Spirit help us break free from our culture? These are the themes that he gets into. <clears throat> because if you don't have the sensitivity to the Spirit, you will be misled and misread the Scriptures and then 
Conform or Compromise. This is a great book. And here's, here's his idea. This should be made larger, but here I'm going to re- read it to you. The idea that you've got to keep in mind is that there is a redemptive movement. God is not only saving, but he's out for redeeming, restoring, transforming. And the theory that William Webb brings is called the XYZ theory. Now I'll explain this to you. It means <clears throat> that the X, X means the original culture, the, the, the pagan culture, that you, that you, any culture that you go into, it's what you've got without the Spirit of God. There could be any particular country around the world. This is a, mission, this is a missionary uh, grid that you think through. X is the original culture. Y stands for the Bible, the Scriptures. And now you've got the original culture, and then you've got the Scriptures, and then Z stands for the ultimate kingdom of God. This is the goal of the Spirit, to move us from the original flesh fallen world back towards the kingdom of God. You see this movement taking place from culture to the cross, the scriptures, to the spirit, the renewed, the restored, the healthy. So let me explain this. This redemptive movement that the Spirit of God moved from the beginning. He's always been moving. We sing he's always working. God's Spirit moves people towards the kingdom. It's always moving towards the kingdom. And that is through, the, all, uh, through all the ages. And so <clears throat> you'll see here the original culture comes cr- uh, smack dab and uh, confronted with the Revelation of the scriptures. And now you've got tension. Here's the old and here's the revealed. And so now you've got the Bible being presented to the Corinthians by Paul and others. And what Paul wants to do is take those Corinthians into the kingdom. And so when you follow this movement, this direction, it will help you understand a lot what's going on next week. But here's the idea that this movement through time, through your lifetime and through my lifetime, God's Spirit is at work, and the movement is going to help us understand the Bible being redemptive. You need to understand that the Spirit of God, who really wants to change us, is going to help us go through the eschaton until we understand all the riches of the cross, all the all the implications of the gospel, the blessings, the spirit, the church, all those things that they are restorative and redemptive. The movement is that way. Okay? And so when you get over to Z, this is the ultimate ethic. This is the kingdom of God. This is the glory that that we were built to have and enjoy, but we only have tastes of. Because it's not yet fulfilled. You with me? Original culture, scripture, and here's the kingdom of God. This is where the spirit of God wants to move us. And so what's happening in Corinth is you have this spirit of God calling men and women to Christ. They become born again. They get this relationship and fellowship with Christ. 
and they're moving towards this way. And Paul says, I want to grow. I want to lay this foundation of Christ. But what happens is they start moving in the wrong direction. And therefore, you've got this W over here. And this W is not the Y, or not the, uh, not the X, but the W is the worst. It's, it's even more basic, more primitive. It's going backward. And so there's not progress, there's a regress. Instead of being restored, it's, it's becoming dysfunctional. And that's what's happening in Corinth. They have all this riches, but they're returning back to Egypt. They're going back to the wisdom of the world. They're forgetting all their calling and their identity, and they now are doing things like incest and the sexual ethics that will come up. They don't have any clue because there's some problems with their thinking. And so Paul would say they were fighting him Instead of fighting, uh, instead of following or being teachable, they were resisting the Holy Spirit and they were arguing. They were arrogant. They were unteachable. They thought that the eschaton had already arrived and because the gospel had set them free, they can do anything they want to. The grace would cover all of my sin. If I can go sin, I can do anything. They were misled. They were misreading. And therefore, they were stuck. And they were not producing spiritual fruit. And so Paul says, you have become ignorant. Uh, er, sorry, you have become arrogant. 1 Corinthians 4.18. You have to learn not to go beyond what is written. Learn from me, Paul would say. <clears throat> so that you would not take pride in one man over the other. That's not the scripture. That's not the kingdom of God. That's not the Holy Spirit. But there are those who presume that Paul and his friends, Paul, you're just living according to the flesh. You're off base, Paul. And they misread Paul. And they began to judge Paul because they didn't understand Paul. 2 Corinthians twelve twenty. When I come, I am afraid that I will not find you as I wish or as the Spirit would wish. But you, I find quarreling, jealousy, and rage. Rage? Rage. This was potentially church splitting, arrogance, gossip. And then this knowledge that puffs up instead of the love that edifies. So Paul says, if you think you know anything, you don't know anything because you're moving in the wrong direction. And therefore, what has already been given to you, you've lost. And you're going backwards. And therefore, Webb has this idea of redemptive movement moves towards progress and fruitfulness, faithfulness, joy, worship, all those things. But the Corinthians were moving in the wrong direction. And therefore, I understand this idea of redemptive movement. Let me give you one thing, and I'll lead you into this next, <clears throat> next time around. Take the issue of slavery. In the original culture, the Bible when you we go into the Bible, the Bible never condemns slavery. You ever thought about that? In time, it doesn't speak to that issue. In the original culture and, and cultures back then, there are lots of countries that had slaves. But it doesn't demand the erasure or the abolition of slavery. 
And therefore, they had to live in the tension that this issue of slavery was not dealt with in a redemptive manner. It was the original culture. And therefore, when Paul would come to uh, Corinth or any of those places, he would assume that that's kind of normal for that culture. Not, it was, it is what it is, was what it was, but Paul wouldn't necessarily address it. And so he, it was allowed for a point in time. But Paul assumes that if you were a slave and you came to Christ, you could stay a slave. Or you can be free. He didn't address it redemptively. He just bypassed it in one sense. But now you move in history. As Americans in our culture, when you look back, you say, that's kind of barbaric. That's slavery. We got rid of that a long time ago. So the American culture was more progressive. Be careful with that word. But more redemptive because now we've gotten rid of slavery. The same thing with human rights. The Bible doesn't talk a lot about human rights, but now you go to the United Nations, and now we have certain cultures that are really doing kingdom work, justice work, to help people be protected. But the Bible seems to not speak to those things. Why? Because there's a point of time. And God's Spirit moves through time as he moves through redemptively each culture. And so when the slaves became free... And women became free, and and statuses were changed. You see God's movement, God's movement towards the kingdom increasing, and this becomes the kingdom mindset. If you're walking with the Spirit, if you're not baptized, it's foolishness. This Bible, it's old barbaric stuff. They did stuff back then. Like I can't believe that. Well, they don't understand the revelation. But to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, you hold my teaching, you are my disciples, you will know the truth. And that redemptive truth will set you in that movement towards the kingdom that will set you free. And that's the position that Paul's going to take the Corinthians in. We're going to look at this because every issue that comes up in the next part of Corinthians has to do with the fact either they're misreading the Spirit, misreading Paul, misreading the Scriptures, and they're imposing a backward sense, a misdirected sense, that this is the way the Christian life should be. And we're boasting about it. The problem with the Corinthians, there were two problems. One is that they thought they had it already because the eschaton was theirs. And they were the chosen people, the Gentiles that had all this wisdom and they can do, go ahead and do sin. Or they were returning to the old flesh, back to Egypt. And they were not representing Christ at all. And so moving people into grace, moving people into scripture, moving people into that flow of the spirit so that they read the spirit correctly they understanding the purposes of God so that they make real progress in their individual lives and as a group of people called the church. This is a wonderful tension to be involved. It's already there, but not perfectly there. That's why we grow in Christ. That's why you need pastors. That's why you need good biblical teaching. That's why you need disciples. That's why you need laborers. That's why you need the whole community to say, 
I'm going the wrong way. I need somebody to help me get out of myself. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He gets you out of yourself and introduces you into the kingdom. Well, you'll hear this again because when we get into chapter 5 and chapter 6 and 7, when you talk about sexual ethics in our day and age, you're going to need this mindset because you will see we're going backwards beyond W, beyond, go back up the alphabet. But if you have this understanding that the Spirit of God wants to move you and set you free in the kingdom, well, you really will be free. Well, enough for today. That's a lot. It's exciting because not only is it the fact that you are called to go home to heaven, but you're called to be sensitive that heaven has come to you. And by walking with the Spirit, you can make that progress and not be misled. Let's, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you. <clears throat> thank you that your Spirit longs to give us the mind of Christ. Thank you that you understand our resistance to that. Thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves. And without you working on us, Father, we're stuck. We're just stuck. But we need you to come and call us. Help us learn. Help us be disciples for your glory and our growth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.